This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. <laughs> It's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chad. Well, the Edmonton Eskimos didn't have a good outing last Friday against the Hamilton Tiger Cats, but the good news is they got through the game healthy. Looks like no injuries from last week as they get set to take on the BC Lions on Friday night. Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. Of course, we will bring you the game starting at 6 o'clock with the countdown to kickoff. Play-by-play with David Morley will start at 8. And then the Eskimos have a home-and-home with the Toronto Argos. The latest there, quarterback Ricky Ray has been advised not to play for the rest of the season. Had that scary injury against Calgary on the weekend. Luckily, he is back home, but uh, pretty serious Ray has been advised not to play for the rest of the season. Of course, this raises the sad possibility that uh, maybe that's it for Ricky Ray in the Canadian Football League. But uh, we're glad that he is recovering. And it looks like, well, a lot of you wanted to see James Franklin as an Edmonton Eskimo. Uh, very likely you're going to see James Franklin as a Toronto Argo for the rest of the season. Though if you heard Jay Onright earlier in the season, he thinks the Argos should trade for Johnny Manziel, which would certainly be uh, be interesting. I think I would still go with James Franklin as the starter, given that... Uh, He's been playing a lot more. Even though not hasn't been playing a lot of football, he's been playing more than Johnny Manziel over the last couple of years. Anyway, stories to keep an eye on. My name is Reed Wilkins, live from Remax Field tonight. I'm uh, just in the lounge here behind home plate, and the game's going to start, well, any second. The uh, prospects just finishing their warm-up pitches. They're taking on the Okotoks Dogs. Prospectsbaseball.com for more information. Don't forget about their big Canada Day game, 7 o'clock against Brooks on Sunday. Well, the Hockey Hall of Fame class has been announced for this year and uh, a lot of people well, I, I would hope everyone thrilled to see that Willie O'Ree is going into the Hockey Hall of Fame of course the first black player in the NHL and a guy who uh, well I won't say wrote the book on this topic but he made the film on it <laughs> that is uh, Damon Mason check it in tonight Damon you're on with Reed good to talk to you again how are you doing I'm good Reed how's it going man it's been a while how are you yeah, well, I'm doing great, and and we we talked to you when when the film came out. What was that? Was that early 2016? Soul on Ice was released, or when did you get it out there? Yeah, it was like 2015. Okay. Yeah. Ta- and, and obviously, they debuted at the Edmonton Film Festivals. Right, of course, and and you're uh, you're an Edmontonian, of course. Well, I'm originally Toronto, but I spent eight years in Edmonton. I worked on radio out there, and uh, it was my home for a while, man. So, you know, I got a special heart for Edmonton and everybody out there in Edmonton. So it's, uh, you know, it's an honor to be back on the radio and just saying hi to everybody and, and speaking about a special moment in hockey history. 
Well, Willie O'Ree going into the, into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, look, we can we can probably say it was long overdue, but we don't have mm-hmm. to worry about that anymore because it, because it happened. Uh, have you been able to talk to Willie in the in the past uh, the past day since it happened? Yeah, for well, I was in um, I was in Las Vegas for the NHL Awards, so I spent some time with him there. And uh, there's a young lady out of Montreal who's actually working on a, a full-length documentary on Willie specifically. So it was cool to hang out with him and see what they were doing with that. And we all had dinner, and uh, you know, he was he was playing like any other hockey player, just humble and hoping for the best. And then um, you know, we got the word yesterday, and I actually just finished getting off the phone with him today, telling him that I was going to be on the show. So uh, I wanted to congratulate him and let him know that uh, that I'd be on the show and I'd be talking and singing his praises. So, you know, he's really, uh, really excited. Um, he's out in San Diego. Um, yesterday he was bombarded with phone calls. He told me he went to bed at like 7 p.m. because soon as the, the announcement came uh, towards to him at like 12 noon, it's just been interviews, phone calls, phone calls, interviews all day, all night. So he's been just taking it all in, feeling good. And, th- you know, the great thing about Willie is, you know, he's not even taking it as a congratulatory uh, moment for himself. He's just looking at it as, you know, that the game, ha- the game is progressing and there's so much more that he can do now with uh, having this this honor um, this, uh, bestowed upon him. So he's really excited. He's really happy, and he just can't wait to grab that ring. You, you know, I, I, I don't want to draw, like, overly direct comparisons, but, I mean, you know the story, too, with Claire Drake, who we unfortunately uh, lost recently, but he finally got into the Hall of Fame after yeah. all those years of, of waiting. Uh, you know, maybe not in terms of their journey, but certainly in terms of how they were deserving but continually uh, overlooked. You might be able to put some parallels there. Did it? Mm-hmm. Did, it did you get the sense it bothered Willie? Did you get the sense that... Um, uh, you know, or maybe he didn't want to talk about it. Did you get the sense that yeah. he, you know, was fine either way? What can you tell us about that? No, I mean, I think, I think for him personally, it was one of those things he always wanted to get into. He wanted to get into that club, but he it never uh, took away from what he was doing. He was going to be Willie O'Ree regardless, and he was going to go out there and influence kids the best way he could. And you know, he he always figured that. You know, when the time was right for him, the time would be right for him. And I think more so the fans and people you talk to, you know, since I did the movie and since I've been like, you know, I'm still going out to colleges and universities and NHL cities and showing the film. And up until now, you know, everybody would say, like, how come Herb Carnegie is not into the Hall of Fame? How come Willie O'Ree is not in the Hall of Fame? And, you know, all you could really just say is, well, you know, hopefully one day these guys will get their act together and they will look at these two guys and and see them as builders and give them their rightful place. We've got Willie O'Ree in there now, so I think the next deserving person as far as uh, colored athletes go in the game of hockey would be Herb Carnegie because, you know, he, he, he did so many great things as well and Willie O'Ree will tell you himself that, you know, Herb Carnegie is a guy just as deserving. It's just that, you know, he, he, he got into the sport way too early. 
Damon Mason joining us on Inside Sports, filmmaker. He told you how he uh, spent several years here in Edmonton, and of course the film came out in 2015, Soul on Ice, the, uh, the documentary you uh, directed, produced, and wrote, telling the story about uh, black players in hockey in the United yeah. States and, and, and Canada. You know, Damon, obviously Willie O'Ree would have been a big part of that film, but mm-hmm. you know what did you what did you learn that maybe surprised you or really stayed with you emotionally from the journey of making that movie? Well, you know the biggest thing that I got out of it was perseverance through adversity. That was the theme when we started working on it. We we, we kind of felt like there was a, a ongoing theme which was perseverance through adversity. And when I say that, I mean a lot of guys that I talked to uh, in the first year of shooting the film, I heard lots of stories of guys saying they couldn't handle the racial bigotry, they couldn't handle the verbal abuse, they couldn't handle going to arenas and guys throwing stuff at them. So that them or their parents took them out of the game, but. Guys like Anthony Carter, George LaRock, Willie O'Ree, Herb Carney, all these great players who, who spent some time playing the game for so long had one thing in common. When they were faced with racial adversities, they took it in stride and they fought through it just to be, be able to play the game that they loved. So the biggest thing that I took away from it is the human spirit that, you know, uh, no matter what, there's certain people that are just built so strong that they will defy odds and they'll do what they love to do no matter what. Nothing will stop them. And I feel like in a game of hockey who's got a hundred year history and that history hasn't been always so kind for the uh, black athlete in the game. For a guy for guys in the say in the sixties and the seventies, especially the seventies and the eighties, for those guys, man, they fought really hard just to open up the door and um, make it a safer place for guys like PK Subban, Wayne Simmons, Devontae Smith probably now, you still get problems going on, but it's not as bad. Like, I mean, Willie O'Ree, you know, over the last couple of years, I've had the uh, opportunity and the honor to be around him and show the film and have discussions. And when we would be out there at a bar having, like, some drinks and just talking, he would tell me some crazy stories of, you know, going into southern states and different places and the verbal abuse he'd have to go through. And even guys like Mike Marzi would tell me stories of, like, getting ready for a game and guys would say, hey, well, the guys on this certain team are picking straws to see who's going to fight you tonight. And for those guys to stick with that game, that shows you how, how strong and how much love they have for this game of hockey. Well, that's that's an incredible perspective, Damon. And, and, and you're right. It's, it's hard to imagine what you know willie o'ree and other black players that and and you said it well it it, you know it hasn't gone away unfortunately but the 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 i guess the hatred and the bigotry they would have had to deal with is probably at a level that 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 we can't really understand and and that that, and that speaks a lot to willie's character and their character that they just have to learn to to block it out or maybe use it as motivation Exactly, you know, and that's what it is. It's really motivation. The one thing when I talk to uh, Wayne Simmons' mom or P.K. Subban's dad, the one thing they'd always tell me, or uh, best example, uh, God rest her soul, but Trudy Daly, uh, Trevor Daly's uh, mom, who recently just passed away after he won his first Stanley Cup, she told me whenever 
you know, Trevor had to deal with these adversities on the ice, you'd always tell him, you know what, you get them by, you go out there and you score, and you show them how good you are, and you put it in their face. And a lot of them said that's, that was their motivation. So when guys would chirp and they would try to throw them off the game, they used that as that extra strength to kind of, uh, you know, put it in their face. And, you know, and I'm not saying you have to dismiss it. I'm not saying that it's something that, you know, uh, a black athlete needs to be better and to be good, but you know it, it, it's something that you have to say to yourself. You got two roads. Do you let this um, take you down the path of anger? Do you let this take you down the path of giving up, or do you use this as, like I said, perseverance through adversity? And you have to use this as this adversity to persevere for your ultimate goals. I mean, you look at now, like how many young black players, uh, Asian players, East Indian players are getting into the game and getting into the league. You know, just over the weekend, a friend of mine and his son actually makes an appearance in my film, Akil Thomas, he just got drafted to the LA Kings. And it just warms my heart, man. And, you know, the adversity he's facing right now is he didn't go number one. He didn't go in the first round. He went in the second round. That's the adversity they're getting now, not the racial bigotry. Uh, that's that's a great way to put it, Damon. Hey, uh, before I let you go, again, the movie is Soul on Ice. Like you said, it came out in 2015. It was shown right here in Edmonton at the film festival. People are listening to this probably thinking if they haven't seen it, they want to watch it. How can people uh, watch Soul on Ice? Yeah, so it's uh, the full title is Soul on Ice, Past, Present, and Future. And if you get on to iTunes, Amazon, Google Drive, or the Google Networks, um, it's out there. You can also rent it on uh, YouTube. Uh, I'd love for your support. I mean, it's a it's a timeless film. It's not something that if you didn't see it in 2015, you kind of you know it's kind of dead in the waters. Like I said, like uh, you know, just recently, Rogers Head Office had me uh, bring the film in, and I screened it with Willie O'Ree with um, um, Ron McLean and uh, a couple of other dignitaries from the NHL. So it's a timeless film. And if you, especially if you have um, young kids in the game of hockey or you're a hockey fan, this is a piece of history, Canadian history, I might add, that you might, uh, you might really like to see. So uh, Amazon, iTunes, just search Soul on Ice, Past, Present, and Future, and you'll check it out. Damon, it's great to have you on the show again. Let's not wait two and a half years between appearances <laughs> next time, okay? No, no, we don't. We should do this. We should do this more often and talk hockey, man. I'm looking forward to talking to you again, especially this coming season. Awesome, man. Take care. Okay, take care. Damon Mason checking in tonight. Love his energy. Uh, incredible storyteller. And, uh, yeah, as he said, there's soul on ice, past, present, and future, the documentary about black Hockey players in the U.S. and Canada, obviously a big focus on Willie O'Ree. And you can tell Damon thrills. I'm sure most hockey fans are about Willie going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Reed Wilkins with you inside sports on 630 Chet. I am live at Remax Field. Dogs and prospects are underway. Bottom of the first. We have no score. Back after the break. You're listening to 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. All right, appreciate you tuning in tonight on location this evening from Remax Field. 
Home of the Edmonton Prospects. No score bottom of the first. They're taking on the Okotoks Dogs, getting ready for their big Canada Day game against the Brooks Bombers, 7 o'clock on Sunday. Bands before and after the game, and you can stick around for the 11 o'clock fireworks. Such a pretty location here in the River Valley. I'm on location again tomorrow. I'll be at the downtown community rink for the Billy Moore's Cup. That starts at 6.30 to wrap up Edmonton Oilers Development Camp. Doors will open to the public at 6. It's free, but remember, it is first come, first serve for seating, so you'll get to see the uh, scrimmage there that wraps up Development Camp. This summer in August, huge tournament in Edmonton and Red Deer with games at Rogers Place. The Halinka Gretzky Cup. They unveiled that new trophy yesterday. You can check out all the ticket info and ticket packages and the schedule. Rogersplace.com slash HG Cup. This, uh, I mean, in this year's draft last weekend in Dallas, 77 alumni of the what was formerly the uh, Avon Halinka Memorial Tournament were drafted. So this is a best-on-best tournament for draft-eligible players. It's going to be in Edmonton and uh, Red Deer. And I uh, got to catch up with uh, Kevin uh, Kevin Lowe for this tournament and some draft memories. All right, Kevin, we just had the the draft. We're talking about the draft-eligible kids coming this summer. You were drafted 21st in 1979. Do you remember who went right in front of you? I sure do, yeah. Michel Goulet was the 20th pick and we were both teammates with the Quebec Ramparts uh, uh, the year prior to that and but it was a different year um, because that was the the year that the WHA merged with the NHL and so the draft actually got postponed uh, so I was uh, deprived of actually going to the draft uh, it was done by conference call in August and um, got a call from Alan Eagleson my then agent to say that uh, my dream had come true I'd been drafted in the first round, and then he kind of paused and you know hesitated. And I said, "Well, to who?" And he said, "Well, you um, you went. You're the last pick." And I said, oh, "Okay, I, was, I guess I'm a first. I was a first rounder." And he's and he, I said, "Who?" And he said, "Edmonton." And I said, "Edmonton? They're not even in the National Hockey League, are they?" So uh, my how things have changed. Uh, flash forward to today and. Uh, you know all the all the attention and media on the draft. Well, you didn't wouldn't have had a combine or like did teams even interview you? Like, did you know who might have been interested you in you or anything like that? No, no combine, none of that. I, th- I think um, oh, Chicago's longtime scout and I can't recall his name and I feel bad for that. But I I remember he stopped me in the hallway, or at least someone indicated to me that he was a scout for Chicago. And you know, in hindsight, he was obviously wanted to see what kind of person I was but that that was the extent of my interview process in back in 1979 totally different now and, and this the the Helenka Gretzky Cup is is one of the big differences to get these kids here uh, in the summer I mean it's it's really an incredible showcase and many of these kids will be drafted next year it is an incredible showcase I it you know it's the as Al Coates alluded to it's best on best there's so much at stake for these kids. Uh, you know, one, they're playing for the country, who is always pretty important to all those kids. But secondly, the, the future of their hockey career is is riding on that tournament. Uh, I mean, it, they still have time to, to prove or disprove themselves over the course of the year, but it's a big, big opportunity to, to have, uh, you know, uh, first impressions, particularly on the general managers. 
and I think this will, well, it's safe to say this will be the first time that all the general managers will be at the event because it's it's always at a time in the year where it's, it, you know, there's, they've they've just finished free agency and, you know, they're looking for a little downtime and so their head scouts and all their scouting staffs go over and they'd all like to go over but, you know, the travel across the ocean is a bit of a distance so so I, I, I can't imagine uh, there, you know, that any of the general managers won't be here for at least a couple days because you get to see the the draft class. What, what would you say to the kids about just this experience? And I, and I asked Tyler Benson too, it's different in their summer because usually that'd be training. Now they're thrown into this intense tournament. I mean, it's almost like a Canada Cup. <laughs> you get it. So what would you say to them just being ready for that and embracing this midsummer event? Well, I think, I mean, listen, kids are in shape 12 months of the year now. They don't, there's no time off and it's just a completely generation of athletes. So ramping up is not a, not, not a problem for them. I suspect most of these kids that have been at this level uh, you know, or uh, it's on their radar that you know none of them are going to be surprised by getting an invite. Uh, Canada has their camp; they have 44 kids going. So um, you know, it's uh, it's 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 the first stage of that whole process. And I imagine the ones that don't get the invite to Team Canada's camp is a little bit like the World Juniors, and the one that don't make the cut, it's a little bit like the World Juniors. Although there is more time to prove themselves over the course of the year. But I, I you know, in, in just. Uh, just another thought on the Holinka. I remember the the last time I was there was in I believe it was 2011, when a when a young undersized guy was playing for the Americans, and I you know I really I thought this guy was the most exciting guy or one of the most exciting guys to watch, and his, his name was Johnny Godreau, and he was off the radar. And I thought, I mean, how does this translate? This kid is just he's amazing in this tournament. You know, can he play in the NHL? <laughs> Clearly, he can. <laughs> Clearly he can catch it up with Kevin Lowe. Alinka Gretzky Cup, Edmonton and Red Deer in August. Again, rogersplace.com slash HG Cup, or just Google Alinka Gretzky Cup. That'll be the first thing that comes up. Bob is going to check in for the latest on Oilers Development Camp. We have a special guest coming up for some Edmonton baseball memories as we're at the heart of baseball in the city. Remax Field, no score prospects and Okotoks in the top of the second. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. Riley and the Eskimos home to the BC Lions on Friday. We have it for you on 630 Chet. Countdown to kickoff at 6. The game will start at 8. Then the Eskimos will play 2 against the Toronto Argos, and you probably heard it, unfortunately. Quarterback Ricky Ray has been advised not to play for the rest of the season after that injury against Calgary on Saturday. That's a tough one. Hopefully uh, we see Ricky Ray on the field again someday. Uh, but obviously not uh, not great news today, though it looks like he uh, he is mobile after that injury. You know, uh, in a few minutes here, we're, we're going to bring Alan Wachowicz onto the show. And uh, Alan Wachowicz, we're, we're at Remax Field tonight, so we'll get some old-school baseball memories. He was a bat boy for John Ducey's teams back in the late 40s and early 50s, and he went on to become the chief justice for the province of Alberta. So you never know when some youngster you're watching do something, playing a game, helping out at a field or at a rink, goes on to become something great. Maybe, for instance, a kid you see playing hockey for the Southside Athletic Club will go on to host his own sports talk show as we bring Bob Stoffer on to Inside Sports. Hi, Bob. 
That wasn't exactly the plan, by the way, when I was playing for the Southside Athletic Club. Uh, you know, I didn't, the hope was to dream above those aspirations, <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, in the end, I outkicked my coverage. And I will tell you this, Reed. Uh, Judge Alan Wachowicz, uh did the uh, speech for my friend Craig Mackay uh, from, uh, I believe it's now known as Robinson LLB. I call Craig Craig Mackay the injury guy uh, when he was admitted to the bar uh, way back in the mid-1990s. So uh, going back a few years, uh, and it's probably one that uh, – Alan would like to take back because uh, Craig hasn't exactly knocked it out. I'm just kidding, Craig. <laughs> there he's, you go. He, he's, a, he's a fine representative of the court, let me tell you. Uh, quickly, Bob. It's great being at this stadium. Uh, the, the Prospects Ownership Group has done a great job keeping baseball going. They had some tough years on and off the field, but things have turned around for them recently. Uh, I think they're trying to get Ron Kittle here for an event later on this summer. That'll be pretty cool. Uh, Tim Salmon played here, I guess, two of the most memorable trappers that I can remember from when I was younger. Yeah, I remember uh, listening to uh, Al Coates call the games and John Short, who is kind of a guy that I probably listened to the most along with Brian Hall when I was a kid on a sort of day-by-day basis. You know, John was a huge baseball fan, an old Detroit Tigers fan. And, uh, you know, what was it, it? Jay LaVeglio? Uh, they had some, uh, Devon White briefly was a member of the uh, Edmonton Trappers. And, and really, uh, if not for the fact that the Canadian dollar, you know, significantly uh, went down and then Calgary and Vancouver, first Vancouver, then Calgary were out of the AAA baseball, and that kind of eliminated Edmonton as an option, and so during Rick Wallace's time as uh, CEO of the Eskimos, they're in a position where uh, they ultimately sold the team to Nolan Ryan's group. So, I mean, I'm a, I, I, I will tell you this, Reed, I was a much bigger baseball fan going back 15 or 20 years ago. As you know, I was a fantasy uh, rotisserian when I was in university, and uh, the 94 uh, strike really oh. killed it for a lot of me and my friends. You know what I mean? Read like it, The Expos weren't first. I grew up watching the Expos, and that one hurt because Montreal had a great chance to win the World Series, and I never recovered, Reed, as a baseball fan. I'm kind of gravitated more towards soccer. Uh, it has nothing to do with my own kids. It's just I love international soccer, and so it's kind of, uh, you know, but that's that I still have appreciation for what they're trying to accomplish uh, down uh, at what was once known as Telefield. All right, Bob Stoff for joining us on Inside Sports. Tomorrow I'm going to be live on location again, this time from the downtown community rink for the Billy Moores Cup. The Oilers will wrap up their development camp with 24 players. I got to talk to Kyler Yamamoto and Tyler Benson yesterday, had those interviews on on Inside Sports. They're two guys who are are certainly pushing and will at the very least be in the AHL this season. I know you went down there today. It's, uh, you know, some skill stuff. Uh, let, Let people know what they're working on, if anything stood out for you, Bob. Well, I mean, I've been down there the last couple of days, and it's it's interesting because there's been a little bit of one-on-one and then working in a two-on-two drill. I wouldn't say it's been uh, harsh in terms of the compete side that we might see in our orders practice just because it is really the off-season. They want to see where these guys are at. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting being down there just to see the difference between a 22-year-old kid like Cooper uh, Marodi and where he's at as compared to Yamamoto, who's 19. Uh, Bouchard clearly has got big league skill. That's the one thing you notice on the defense. Uh, there's some other guys that, uh, you know, you're wondering, wow, there's some uh, much-needed footwork that needs to take place in terms of the development of, the, of a couple of the guys. But yeah, I think you do see separation between the higher-end prospects. And 
Uh, one guy that I think might have a chance to find a way is Graham McBee. He's oh, really? Tena- yeah, he's a tenacious guy. He, he's, uh, you know, his dad punched above his weight class, both literally and figuratively, to play in the NHL back in the mid-'80s. And that was a guy that I've noticed the last couple of days. But he's also an older, more mature kid. With Ryan McLeod, you can see he's a darter. He's got some speed. Um, you know, Safin and Maximoff, who were picks last year, there's there's talent there, there's skill there, and it's just how far they progress. So there's some excitement. They're slowly starting to build far greater depth in the organization. That's one thing that's apparent to me. Yeah, well, it, it looks like they've they've drafted a lot better the, la- the last two or three years, too, which is encouraging. I know you and I were at a couple of drafts where we were kind of like, what? And then some of those guys didn't didn't pan out. So hopefully that helps build organizational depth because they can't constantly chase free agents and trades to, to build the core of the team. I think you can augment your team like that. And it makes me wonder about July 1st. And Peter Shirelli did say today, barring a trade, uh, it's probably going to be another quiet July 1st for the Oilers. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, they were not too quiet for the first couple of years, right? I mean, you bring in Secret, six-year deal, five and a half million. The next year, you got the Lucic signing. That's two pretty big signings, and they got virtually nothing out of those guys in the final 50 games. Well, in Secret's case, virtually all season. So they need both players to bounce back. And in, a, in, the, in the case of the defense, from a free agency perspective, Reed, I think the wild card has become Bouchard. And mm-hmm. given the fact that you've got the 6D that got the team into the playoffs in 2016-17. So obviously we're talking Clefbaum and Larson, we're talking Sekra and Russell and then Nurse and Benning. You've got those six guys. Where does Evan Bouchard fit in that? I personally believe we're going to see Evan Bouchard over in Europe at the start of the year. So maybe that means you don't have to sign another uh, NHL uh, depth defenseman. I do think that, you know, I don't know if it looks like Dylan Simpson's not going to be coming back to the organization. I think there might be a uh, a good American League signing, maybe a right shot guy uh, that can give you some games at the NHL. And then up front, um, logic dictates they need at least maybe a third line left wing or possibly a uh, you know uh, a guy that can play a couple different positions on the fourth line. I don't think they got a lot of money. I don't know how interested they are in spending north of two million dollars on a player. I guess time will tell because I think they want to see where. Some of the right-wing prospects are, you know, how does Rowdy do? How does Kyler Yamamoto do? Obviously, Paul Yarby's going to be on the team to start the year. Uh, and then, you know, maybe we're looking at a guy like Austin uh, Zarnick out of Boston. You know, he, he was offered a one-way deal by the Bruins. Uh, he's looking to expand his horizons in another organization. He might be a guy that gets in, uh, gets in the radar screen as well. So I don't think we're talking somebody north of $2 bucks, but I will be intrigued to see what the Oilers do on July 1st. Bob, thanks for making time for me, buddy. Really appreciate the update from Development Camp. We'll see you tomorrow, bud. Anytime, Reed. Bye-bye. Bob Stoffer checking in noon to 2 every day. Oilers now right here on 630 Chat. Always love catching up with Bob. We are into the top of the third. No score. Edmonton Prospects, Okotoks, Dogs. Some baseball memories from Alan Walkowicz when we get back. You're listening to 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. 
this has been a fun one on location at Remax Field. Edmonton Prospects taking on the Okotoks Dogs now into the bottom of the third. No score. Prospects back home after a six-game road trip. They are trying to snap a four-game losing streak. Ran into some tough pitching on the road. Uh, they're 8-12 and on the season, but uh, in a playoff spot. Uh, 20 games into the season, they play 48, so lots of time for them to put together a run here. Okotoks looking good at 13-6. and 7 o'clock on... Uh, Sunday, Canada Day, they'll play the Brooks Bombers, and you can stick around for the fireworks after the game. Some guests on Inside Sports get gift certificates to Northern Chicken. Check out the new spring chicken menu with spring-inspired fixings. Start your salivating at northchickenyeg.com. Well, uh, I thought it'd be fun to get a little bit of uh, some baseball memories tonight. Long history in this city, probably going back further than a lot of people would even realize. And to touch on that, I'm pleased to welcome Alan Walker to Inside Sports. Alan, you're on with Reed. How are you doing, sir? I'm fine, Reed. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's Good. it's a pleasure to talk to you. And, uh, man, we, we spoke briefly this, this afternoon, yep. uh, and uh, I almost don't know where to begin, but we'll, we'll go way back. Baseball's been played down here either, you know, in this stadium. It's had a few different names or, or nearby since the mid-30s. And, and your first experience was what? You were a bat boy in the late 40s? Well, I had, had an experience before that. I used to go to the baseball games back in 1943, 1944. And um, at that time, the American soldiers were still in town building the Alaska Highway. So there were two teams from uh, the uh, that uh, the Americans had. Uh, one was the Signals and one was the, uh, the Army. And uh, there were two eminent uh, teams, the, the Army and Navy Cardinals and the Aero Bus Lines. And... That was the, the days where you took a uh, Sunday collection on Sunday get, uh, to get into the ballpark. And um, it was good baseball, good baseball, because the Americans had some outstanding stars. And, you know, one of them was a guy named John, Johnny Galvin, for example, who played with the Chicago Cubs. And he was stationed here in Edmonton at that time and, um, and was also a good football player. Uh, and, and, you know, played with the Chicago Bears for a very short period of time. And, and uh, the, the, uh, this is an old Renfrew baseball park, and, you know, on Sunday afternoons, you'd be surprised. You know, John Ducey stood behind there to make sure that people paid a reasonable price. It was silver collection. <laughs> you know, 25 cents, no, no, give it all or 50 cents, he would say, and and uh, the place would be packed, packed to the extent, and right hand, and right field, the people were standing three deep to watch baseball games. Well, that that's such a great memory, Alan, and it, it was totally different then because... If you, if you look at the major league level, obviously there weren't as many teams, but baseball hadn't really come west yet. You know, games wouldn't have been on TV, so it may have been a team that nowadays you'd call independent baseball, but the caliber was, was probably a, a lot better because the reach of the big leagues wasn't quite the same. Well, there were some outstanding baseball players here at that time. There's a catcher that played for one of the American teams that also played in the major leagues. We saw some outstanding baseball players. Now, all of a sudden, you know, the war ends, 1945. You know, and, and what, what did he do? 
Well, they organized a, a baseball league as between Edmonton and Calgary, uh, with two teams in Edmonton and two teams in Calgary, one being the Edmonton Eskimos, and not because of the football team, and one being the Edmonton Cubs, sponsored by uh, Edmonton Motors. The, the, the uh, Edmonton Eskimos were sponsored by North by a Northwest um, a Hotel that Brant Matthews owned on 97th Street. And the the, uh, um, the teams in Calgary were the Purity 99s and the Calgary Buffaloes. And, and it was a great, great league at that, you know, for, for five years. Bill Gadsby played, for example, first place, uh, first base. And he was, you know, he played 19 years in the NHL. We, there were some just some outstanding athletes uh, who were great baseball players, such as Gadsby and others. And uh, uh, it, they, they drew from four to 5,000 people uh, for baseball games, you know, before TV. You know, TV doesn't come to Edmonton until 1954. But, uh, you know, people went to the baseball games, and um, it was, uh, they were there and, uh, and cheered for either the, for the Eskimos or the, or the Cubs. And, um, you know, I, I could name a whole bunch of players that played that uh, really had major league uh, backgrounds. And uh, uh, we had great baseball during that, that era. You mentioned John Ducey, and obviously one of the, the previous names of, of the facility I'm now, Relax Field, was John Ducey Park. Let people know what he was like and his, his impact on, on the sport here in Edmonton. Oh, he, 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 he had a love for baseball, such an intense love. You can't believe it. This guy was a great individual. You know, he, he started out in, in Renfrew Ballpark umpire, umpiring, and um, he, he came from Buffalo, New York. He married a local girl, a lady, I should say, and, uh, um, and had uh, two children and uh, who I went to school with, and he... Uh, uh, he, he was highly regarded and respected. He, he had a little bit of a, a little bit of a, um, a business uh, in insurance and real estate, and he would stand on a, a very memorable, uh, in front of a very memorable um, establishment called Mike's Newsstand, where everybody went to to buy tickets, and uh, everybody knew John Ducey. John Ducey was a very, very honorable man. He he really was. Um, the, you know, he was—he was a person who just instilled a baseball heart into Edmonton, and that's why they named the stadium after him. You know, and that's before commercial enterprises entered into the field, whereby they would name him after uh, they would, you know, sell the name. But yeah. um, Renfrew, it was Renfrew Ballpark. They changed it to John Ducey. Now, Alan Walkowitz joining us on Inside Sports. Give people a sense here of, because the, the, the original field and stadium was, what, nearby but not in the exact spot? It was uh, Diamond, yeah, there was Diamond Park originally. And Diamond Park, during those early days in the 30s, the late 20s and the 30s, I don't know about this, but I know about the history. You know, Babe Herman, for example, you know, here's a guy who's in the Hall of Fame in baseball, and he played with Edmonton. There's a couple others as well, and and what happened was they moved Diamond Park, which is right below the McDonald Hotel, and they moved it towards the south, to where Renfrew Park was then created, 
and that became Ducey Park, and then became Telus, et cetera, et cetera. But um, baseball in this city was a very, very popular sport during those 30s and 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 the 40s in particular. Uh, and when the Americans were here, when we saw an upper class of baseball, it was really um, something to behold. And and, um, and it's it's a memory that I have. I mean, I'm a young boy. I mean, uh, what I'm doing is I'm I'm there because I'm, I'm first of all selling popcorn and peanuts, and and then uh, I became a bat boy, you know, with one of the teams in 1949 and uh, for 1950 and met some outstanding baseball players. You know, Bob Lillis, for example, you know, who was a shortstop, who was a backup to Pee Wee Reese and ended up being the manager of the Houston Astros. Ted Tappy. Ted Tappy, you know, who played first base with the Eskimos, first time in the major leagues. He's one of the few people at the first time in bat at bat hit a home run. You know, we, we, there, we, have, we have great memories here, and they're just not recorded, but there's guys like myself who just who love the game so much well, that it's still having them in my mind. Well, this works out perfect. You have it on. Alan, we, we got to do this again sometime, or if I do another Anytime. show this summer. But we're in the last three minutes here, so i got to ask you quickly, because obviously, yep. you know, as, as a little kid, you're, you're here helping with baseball and getting involved. You went on to become the Chief Justice for the province of Alberta. Uh, what's the story behind the judge's box? Can you give me the cold notes? Oh, well, you know, when, when, I was, when I was a bad boy, John Ducey said there was a box on the first baseline, the first, very first box. He said, that's the judge's box. And, you know, and, every, and the judges, would, you know, they would retire in the early evening. They would come there, and they would all sit there, and they all were, were dressed in black, you know, black suits. <laughs> you know, and, and they, look, they looked like umpires or, you know, or, you know, and, and I would stand there, and uh, there was no drinking allowed in those days, but you could see that one or two of them had a rum bottle hidden someplace, and I would bring in the Coke and everything else, and then John Ducey would say, you take care of those individuals. And and when the trappers finally came to Edmonton, and um, I decided amongst those judges, in reminiscence of, uh, and to, to maintain a heritage in a lot of ways, we, I, I bought a box just off of the home plate and uh, judges went to the baseball games. There was uh, six seats that we had there maintaining what I call the the loyalty that judges had for baseball from that era into the next era. You know, it was, it, and we saw great baseball. That's incredible stuff. Alan, keep in touch. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely do this well, again. Thanks for checking in tonight. Great stories. You keep in touch, and good luck to you. And uh, I, I, I do this in the memory of one of my one of the great sportscasters of all time, and that's uh, my good friend, Wes Montgomery. I, um, uh, you, have no, I, you want me to tell you stories about him? Call me sometime. And well said. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. Okay, you take care, okay? And uh, good luck to the baseball fans in, in Edmonton. Alan Walkowitz checking in tonight. But, man, what, we we, we got to give him more time next time he's on. Going back to the 30s and 40s with stories about baseball history here in Edmonton. Currently, history being written by the Edmonton Prospects and the Okotoke Dogs. Top of the fourth. 
no score. Go to prospectsbaseball.com to check out uh, their schedule and to get tickets for that big special Canada game, 7 o'clock Sunday against Brooks. This was a fun one. Thanks to the producer of the show, Dave Campbell, the studio producer, Kellen Kennedy. Besides Alan Walkowitz, you heard from Bob Stoffer, filmmaker David Mason, prospects assistant general manager Jordan Blundell, and Jay Onright checked in. For more on the Oil Kings hirings, go to 630chet.com. I'll see you at the downtown community rink tomorrow, live inside sports while the Billy Moore's Cup is going on. My name is Reed Wilkins, and thanks to Angie Quinnell for the setup here at the ballpark tonight. Have a great evening. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.